Well, it's a year since the violent end of the illegal occupation at Parliament. And if you thought you'd seen it all at the time, well, think again. Boiling Point, a new documentary from RNZ, includes previously unseen footage of clashes at Parliament on the 2nd of March 2022, one year ago today, when police broke up an unlawful occupation of the area. It's the first feature broadcast to provide a straightforward account of the final day of one of Aotearoa's most infamous protests. The documentary produced and presented by RNZ Morning Report host Corin Dan is available to view from today. Corin Dan and RNZ cameraman Angus Drever sit down with me for a chat about the day. Thank you both for coming in. I know it's a little past your bedtime, Corin. Yeah, I'm awake. I'm downing a late coffee, which is risky. Might not get to sleep. <laughs> Angus, welcome. Thank no, you. Thanks for having me. Thank you both. Well, it happened just down the road from where we're sitting, basically. So, so Corin, what's the single lasting memory of that day as you turn your mind to it now? It's pretty hard because uh, Angus and I have um, spent hours and hours yeah, sit, watching, it, watching it, it over and over again and in a, and in a linear way, right? Because mm. it's kind of like we, we, our job was to sort of piece it all together across this sort of 12, 14, 15 hour period. Uh, for me, um, I was coming in every morning driving in at four o'clock in the morning and you, you know the, during the three weeks of that occupation for people who lived in Wellington and in the area it became very tense and stressful and I was also reporting on it for Morning Report and in the morning I'd drive past and have a look and there was one morning I drove past and uh, a couple of mornings before the final day actually where suddenly there was a huge police contingent and movement and things started to um, they were doing something I don't know it was moving some concrete blocks or something but then it, for some reason that really struck me and I got there I got to work and it had just been a long three weeks, I think. Um, mm. I don't know. It's just, it, it, looking back at that period, it felt like a very stressful, intense period for everyone involved. I think the whole country can relate to that. And that's probably why some people will find this a hard watch because you're going back to a place that was quite traumatic whether you were whether you were there whether you were whether you were uh, a neighbor whether you were amongst the protesters whether you were a police whether you were anything involved in it it was a full-on time you know you say it was three weeks it seems like three months really the whole protest three weeks just sort of flew by didn't it yeah i mean uh i don't know it was a blur what do you think angus oh my god i mean i was going there down there pretty much every day to cover it and it just felt like it was going on and on forever it re- really wasn't until i guess the night before march 2nd where we started hearing rumors that something might be happening the next day which is something we had heard before and hadn't come to be true um so it, it just got to a point like a, maybe a week and a half in we were like this is going to go forever there is no end in sight and every day you'd come in and just go, okay, it's just like another day of standing up on that speaker's balcony and being screamed at and then seeing if I can go in and get some photos or something a bit different and can I do that without getting attacked? It was really just draining. Did you go there from day one? Yeah, yeah, I was there on that first day. I I parked my car on Molesworth Street on day one and I moved it and if I left at about maybe 10 or something and if I left it for an hour it would have been stuck in there for the whole whole protest I don't think I would have gotten it out it's quite something quite amazing really so Corin at what point did you think this would reach boiling point as you put it uh well 
There were periods during the three weeks where I'd be at cricket games on the sidelines talking to people where I would be at, you know, gatherings with people and there would be some people who would who were saying, ah, oh, you know, it's all peaceful and fine and then there would be the, some other people in the same room who would be screaming back at them that it's not all fine and it's not all peaceful and I could see the tension and the stress and just everyday people who weren't even necessarily protesting or, or, or just getting on with their lives and then... and. I felt to me like there was a real fever in the country because, sorry, that's a terrible word, but there was a, because of COVID-19, because of what the country had gone through with lockdowns and because of mandates, because of all those things, and because of the fear and the uncertainty which all of that had created, the real uncertainty about life and, and how we were, what was happening, I just think it, 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 um, it just culminated and it was a hot few days and a few weeks and everything just sort of slowly built up and there was this sense that the the pe- some people were just so frustrated that the police weren't moving in and why weren't they moving in and then there were people frustrated that the politicians weren't talking and then so there was just this sense of a massive stalemate and I think actually the the moment w- really shocked me was when I think right in the middle when the numbers swelled to their biggest mm. which police estimate about 3000 and there was a, a festival atmosphere. It was like a, you know, it was like a rhythm and vines down at Parliament. And you're thinking, what the is going yeah. on here? And, and that, that that was a point for me where I was sort of like, what? At the same time as there were clearly, um, you know, uh, threats directed at, at MPs and things like that on signs and things that were being tolerated as well. And it was very hard to reconcile it all. And it was the sense that it was growing and growing around the country and what might happen. Yeah, I, I remember there was that first weekend where that storm hit. Do you remember that? There was this really big storm that hit early in February. And we're kind of thinking, oh, surely that must end up. People are going to go home. But more people joined in. And they were partying. And I came in on Monday. And there were more people there than there were on Friday. And that was the moment like, okay, they're not just going to leave. No. And it's going to keep going. And the numbers are probably going to swell. And then they'll probably come down and then go back up again. And I don't see how this is going to end without police pushing in. Mm. Yeah, there was quite severe flooding, I think, on the roads in yeah. Wellington that yeah. weekend because I got caught in it trying <laughs> to go home myself that, that day in February. That's right. Um, Angus, let me ask you, did you or your colleagues feel unsafe at any point? You were basically where? On the balcony of the speaker's office around that area yeah well it was this um challenging thing where we were trying to get as many different visuals as we could and i thought what the the community they had built in there was really interesting and i wanted to get as much you know photos or videos for rnz as i could but doing that safely was um a real challenge um if you go in there with the camera you're going to get looks and if you go in there with a mask and a camera you're Obviously, to some people, you're just a puppet, but to other people, you're seen as, like, the enemy. So sometimes I'll go down there, and you'll chat to people, and you're thinking, oh, this, this is okay. I can actually be down here, and this is this is fine. And maybe they're saying stuff um, that's a bit odd or saying stuff that isn't true, but that they believe. But you always knew that at any moment um, someone could turn on you and start screaming. Mm. Uh, I remember there was a moment on day three when there were uh, heaps of arrests, and I was live streaming from in front of the parliament library and this man he's wearing this um i'm not a bio weapon or biohazard shirt and he gets in my face and he starts screaming at me um but then like another protester stepped in and started screaming him, him down and telling him that it's not my fault it's my boss's fault leave that young guy alone 
Um, and that's sort of what we were dealing yeah, with. Yeah, and that's one of the many contradictions, right? and you'll see this in the documentary, yeah. where there are there are clearly groups that are resistant to the police and happy and wanting to fight the police back, push back. Mm. And then there are protesters trying to stop those people, mm. like literally trying to stop them, put their own safety at risk to stop them from throwing things. So there was a real contradiction and a mix. I think on the filming thing, I think this is the thing to... Uh, this is Angus went in there on that last day and this is the amazing thing about this documentary it is the vision that he shot on that last day from the get-go knowing and having the foresight to kind of know that this was such a big day to know that and then to film it and to film enough vision enough shots credible shots and to be right in there like the thing about this documentary, because Angus, just to back a backstory, just quickly here, because Angus came to me and said, you know, I've got this vision. Do you think, you know, think we can make a doco out of it? And it was like looking at the vision. I was like, well, holy heck, this is vision that people haven't seen before. This is a way in which they haven't seen it. It's up close. He's standing right next to people who are throwing things, you know, and he's right in there. And that was shocking to me, and I think it'll be shocking to people who see it. But but it's important because I think a lot of people saw it from a, from afar from camera angles from afar. Some some other people got in there, sure. But a lot of the endearing, enduring images were from afar, whereas what Angus has done with his vision in this documentary is that you it takes you right in there, and that is important because this is all about... It, it's trying to just tell the story in a straight way that can remind people of what happened and that we don't forget. Building up Angus, I guess, in the early days, I mean, how long, how many hours in the day were you there? Just, you thought, oh, a couple of minutes here first day and then 20 minutes the second day did it sort of build up or did you have a set period oh do uh, you mean on that last day or just well, in general up to the you know up to the last day up to the mm. climax i mean before that and you know in general yeah how many uh, we were hours? basically basically almost just fire and z it was just based at the um at the parliament office so normally i'm based up here in the at the terrace but during that i was there every day and actually that last week there had been some police action in the morning where they put down um you know, concrete blocks and try to push them back. So ever since they started doing that, I was basically down um, doing like a morning shift and then a few hours later, um, a colleague Sam would come in and do the day shift. And mm. um, But yeah, well, we were basically there like all the time. Did you have some feelings, you know, walking away that afternoon, that night? What was it like to walk away from the scene each day knowing you'd have to go back the next day? <laughs> uh, it was pretty... Um, I felt pretty bad, to be honest. Yeah, I was, if you listen to my like my Spotify for what I was listening to at that time, I was listening to a lot of sad music, a lot of Phoebe Bridges, that sort of stuff, because it was really draining, eh? Um, just knowing that you're going to go back and just be facing harassment, and even if no one was having to go at you, there were all these signs, people screaming at you. It was um, just draining, eh? Did you feel anonymous? I mean, you weren't there with a big RNZ T-shirt, I'm assuming, or anything? I was wearing a mask, though. <laughs> I was wearing a mask, and if you've got a camera and you're wearing a mask, you're you're not one of them. You felt a, you felt being a target. I I I've had the f- feeling that I could be a target. I think that was the thing is there was that contradiction that you know you're talking about earlier, Corin, where some people you could talk to, and they they had all these thoughts and feelings, and they wanted to get off their chest. There were people that you know lost their homes, they lost everything because they really believed in. Um, they were really against the mandates. They really didn't want to get vaccinated, and they wanted to talk to you about that. And you would hear stuff, um, but then you just knew that at any point someone could turn around and start screaming at you or pushing you around. Um, and that's what 
made it really hard as the, the potential for violence. Mm. Corin, we saw the footage on TV and online at the time and we heard the, the radio reports and media covering it. What was untold? What aspect didn't get covered that this documentary addresses? I think the thing that surprised me when I started watching the vision that Angus presented showed to me was just how the how the day unfolded. I didn't realise the extent, even though we were reporting it on Morning Report live, um, just the extent of the violence in the morning. Um, there was some quite full-on exchanges, which Angus was right in there on outside the Court of Appeal. I didn't realise that there was that, um, that, so there'd been this sort of a surge in the morning and then there was a pause and I didn't quite understand how the whole afternoon unfolded in terms of the um, the police at about 2.45 deciding to push onto the lawn and, and then the, the speed at which that actually happened and then the, then the fires... Uh, how they eventuated. I was shocked when I saw, you know, people obviously throwing um, gas, butane can, uh, cans, and things onto fires and those sort of things. Um, and I did not realise uh, to the extent to which some of the police how vulnerable they got in certain circumstances. There's a couple of moments, or two or three moments in the documentary where police, one where there's a police officer who's dragged into the crowd. Um, and onto the ground, and you know you really do fear for his safety at one point. There's another instance where a small group of police officers have got shields, and they're up right up against the peace wall at the Beehive, which has got all the nice writing over it, and there's just people flinging tent poles and bits of 4 by 2 and stuff right at their heads. And again, Angus <laughs> is right there filming it. Trying, and then, you know, there's this guy trying to smash a brick, huge brick to break up bricks in order to throw it. Um, I don't think I realised uh, the extent of the rage until I saw it up close like that. So I think that's what's revealing. And Angus, maybe describe some of the events on that final day. Or are there some that are still sort of masked that you can't remember necessarily? You know, I think there's obviously the really violent moments that really stand out to me. I mean, obviously you see the vision of the fires and being there and... Um, watching people throw gas bottles and stuff, that's always going to stick in my mind. And that police officer getting pulled down, that's probably the thing I think about the most. I remember there was one thing that I I didn't film. Um, Right after those, uh, I'd filmed a shot of people throwing stuff into the fires under the playground and then exploding and everybody cheering. Um, I stopped filming for a moment just because I wanted to take like 10 seconds just to take it in and remember what it felt like because I had a feeling I was going to make a you know, doco or something, and I wanted to make sure I captured that feeling. And this woman uh, came up to me, and she had her hands on her hips, and she was shaking her head looking at the fires. She turned to me, and she said, can you believe the police did this? And I remember just having this moment of, we're looking at the same exact thing, standing in the same place, but we are seeing in our heads something completely different. And that's something that really stood out to me, is like the choosing to live in this different reality where they're not accountable. Do you ever think at the time that you'd run out of memory or your battery would die or anything like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because there was that pause in the middle of the day, I went back into the office. So I'd, I'd fully charged up. But um, my phone died when the fires went off, so nobody could tell me to get out of there. Mm. <laughs> and you were pretty new to the job at the time. Were you only like, yeah. four months into it at yeah. the time? I'd started in... Um, 
October 2021. Wow. I, I'd been doing kids TV for like six years. <laughs> and everybody's really nice to you when you're filming for what now, but uh, it suddenly changed pretty dramatically as soon as I started at RNZ. I mean, were there some instincts that sort of kicked in with you on, on the day? Adrenaline got you going? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't really... I feel really disconnected from the actual filming. Like when I think about the work we did on the doco, I don't necessarily judge my... I guess camera work on the day because it was so just like just reacting to what's going on around you. Um, I know when I'm, I'm thinking about the, the filmmaking aspect, I think about the edit. Um, I, yeah. Mm. Quite something. We're talking with Corin Dan from Morning Report and also RNZ cameraman Angus Drever. Boiling Point, new documentary from RNZ, including previously unseen footage of clashes at Parliament on the 2nd of March 2022, and it is available. Corin, let me ask you, at the beginning of all this, there, there seemed to be a reluctance generally to include the voices of some of the protesters who were making all sorts of claims that the journalists felt was irresponsible to amplify or were not able to stack up credibly. Is that a fair summation? Do you think that the media sidelined those voices to their peril? So, well, sometimes, uh, certainly the Met, there was reluctance and I think with good reason to, to, to broadcast any clear misinformation and stuff that was not based in scientific fact. Uh, to, to, in saying that, we certainly interviewed uh, a number of people who were either, I don't know if you could quite call them leaders, but you could say that they were associated with the protest uh, throughout the three weeks. I think Leighton Baker was one of them. Um, we talked to people like Matt King. Uh, they were robust interviews, from my memory of them. Um, but I think, you know, the general position from, you know, the polit- with all the politicians effectively refusing to talk to the protesters, partially because there was no leadership or clear leadership, but but also because of concerns around misinformation and concerns around um, threats from some protesters against. MPs, and there were also issues around behaviour from some protesters towards members of the public. Those things all sort of built up. Um, it, what was clear was that, and you know, what is interesting, and will be one for the um, media studies people to look at in future, is that there's no question that the protesters themselves, um, you know, completely rejected the mainstream media and did their own, and you know, they had a lot of their own live streaming and did their own stuff. I think what you the question you're asking is a complex one, um, so I don't mean to try and skirt around it, but I, I come back, I, I want to just come back to the point on this documentary and why we chose to make it, and, and it's quite a traditional straight documentary, and we haven't waded into the issues around misinformation and um, conspiracy theories or whatever, because we wanted to tell as best as we could, uh, Angus and I, with the vision that he shot, the... That what actually happened that day in a straight way because we want to get a record down for people to be able to use in future to be able to remember what happened at this you know at, at New Zealand's Parliament uh, you know something so dramatic and so full on and I think that 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 achieves that goal of of laying that down in a in a fairly straightforward way and that's why I think it was important we we never really and you you can have comment on this Angus and we never really set out I don't think to try and um, answer the question that you, you're perhaps asking around the way in which the media deals with misinformation. Hmm. Yeah, Angus, um, speak to the point maybe? Yeah, I mean, we we chose not to um, go into those issues. And I think it was great seeing other 
uh, journalists yeah. doing documentaries focusing on disinformation. But I think there's a lot of value in for a pretty historic day like this to make something that's straight facts and it sort of lays a foundation for um, analysis. I think it's good to have something that's this is what it, what happened and this is what it felt like to be there. And then, you know, other people can do yeah, analysis one, one on go, misinformation you know, and disinformation. Yeah. Mm. I mean, how were you treated, Angus, as the cameraman? You know, that's a question. I don't know whether there's a simple answer to that. People were, I guess, suspicious. You say you had mm. a mask on and so on. Yeah. But, you know, was it fair? Were you threatened? Did you feel scared? I mean, I was definitely threatened and harassed um, quite often. Um but, you know, there were some people that just wanted to talk to me. I remember someone saying, hey, the media's been saying there were pitchforks here. Do you see any pitchforks? You know, a lot of people just wanted to vent because I was maybe the only person from the mainstream media they'd seen or had a, an opportunity to talk to. Um, but, you know, there were other times when suddenly a group would just turn on you and they'd start screaming. And we show some of that in the documentary. There's a couple moments, one where... Um, I recorded as a couple of guys were telling me I need to leave and, you know, I tried to calm them down and if, if that failed, which it failed every single time, I'd basically just step back for a little bit, get some wide shots and then wait for an opportunity to go back in and hope I don't see those people again. Um, but, you know, you'll see um, in the documentary after the fires have, have started and while the police are pushing us off the lawn, there was a woman swinging a camping chair at me and... Two minutes after that, we were all off the lawn anyway, so it was it was pointless. But a lot of that anger against the the media and that feeling of being ignored or gaslit, um, I think, was put towards me and other reporters that were there as well. But mm. definitely, having a camera was like a, a, a beacon for it. <laughs> yeah, a magnet. Yeah, here. You know, this goes back in my mind. You think of say the Springbok tour. Now mm. you're a bit young, probably, Angus, for that. Corin, <laughs> What's you, that? Can you tell? No, no, yeah. no. <laughs> Corin, you're younger than I am, but I I remember as a as an older teenager the Springbok tour. I'm just guessing you're younger than I am. I, I am. Yeah, no, I was about you. five or six back then. Yes, <laughs> definitely. But it, it's a bit like that. I mean, you know, we think of the big protests like that over the years. You know, this occupation, if it was a singular motivation. You know, for example, like anti-apartheid, which was what the Springbok tour was. What was the purpose of this occupation? Was anything achieved? Were those involved all united? Where do you see that? Well, I think it was pretty clear that this, you know, I think it's reasonable to say that this was clearly an, a protest directed at the mandates for COVID-19 vaccine. It wasn't, uh, you know, some people some people take objection to calling it an anti-vax protest because mm. technically there are some people who were... And uh, pro-vaccination but anti-mandate. Um, mm. There's not not many, but there are some. Uh, it was an, it was an anti-mandate protest, but it it was fragmented and had multiple strands, and and over time it evolved in all sorts of different ways. And it's very hard to put your finger on exactly. You know, we, everyone saw the signs, everyone could see the the banners. There was people with numerous theories on all sorts of mm. all sorts of stuff, including and threats and all sorts of things, everything. So it became very tricky um, to, to answer that question. But I think it's reasonable to call it an, ultimately it was an anti-mandate protest and that that was the uh, the rallying cry. But there's clearly disaffected people from from various groups who, who joined in who were unhappy about the state and unhappy about a whole lot of things in life. Um, yeah, some you might call professional protesters. Maybe, I don't know. I think it's more that they were people, that they are people who uh, have, are doing it tough, uh, they felt maybe they didn't. They lacked hope, 
and they felt that the state had abandoned them or whatever, and they felt that this was a, uh, they saw a, you know they saw some opposition and they wanted to join in. Many just had a, did have a genuine view of being anti-vax and. Um, so it was a whole bunch of things. So. Yeah, it, it attracted so many different groups, and the anti-mandate um, protesters were just really welcoming to anyone who wanted to join in. Um, but yeah, it was it was there were a ton of different views, there, and there was definitely you know lots of anti-vax signs and things like that. But you know, it started about the mandates. It was inspired by the um, convoy protests in Canada, so that was definitely like the the spark and the impetus of it. But there were definitely you know bits and pieces of other stuff there as well. Yeah, you can definitely see, for example, there's a Canadian flag in there. Which, yeah, lots of Canadian yeah, flags. Yeah. yeah. Uh, were you there, Angus, when Winston Peters showed up? I was there. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, was, I was in the office, and then. Suddenly we got a message over the, the work team's chat, Winston's here, and everybody freaked out, and I picked up my camera, and the other camop, Sam, was also there, so we're both racing to get the first photo. Mm. Um, yes, all that, for sure. And were you there when Trevor Mallard decided that uh, the protesters wouldn't like Barry Manilow? <laughs> um, I think I was there right before... Oh, was I it there was pretty right... early on, wasn't it? That was, it was, pretty, weekends, that was I pretty early on. I think I, was, I, think I missed it, but night. then saw him on the Monday. I think he was doing about... it, it was the, one of those early weekends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How did they react to, to that, to the music, to Winston? Did they say Winston is a hero? Oh, Winston was a bit of a mix. The, the music, I think, created a bit more of an us and them sort of vibe, and I think they were really proud of themselves for like sticking through the baby shark and turning into a bit of a joke. Um, the Winston one, you know, there were people that really appreciated him going down, um, but there, there were people that still didn't like him and had a go at him. I can't remember exactly what they were saying, but there were definitely people there who... Um, blamed him because you know he had checked up with labor before that so i think people weren't um not everybody there was happy that it was there but i think overall the crowd was pretty positive at his arrival so reflecting a year on now mm. you know it's amazing one year on very important to record the events uh, is there a for example a face that springs to mind a, a voice a banner that stayed inside you oh um I, the thing that sticks in my mind is just hearing the chance of love and peace while you see a police officer ripped to the ground. That's probably the thing that sums it up for me. Mm. Yeah, there's some amazing contradictions there, as Angus is saying. Um, you know, people literally dancing and singing to, to uh, give peace a chance or, or one of John Lennon's songs, isn't yeah. it? Um, uh, and at the same time, you know, there's just this massive struggle going on in the background and that, that, that sort of sums up the, the, the massive complexity and contradictions of, of that protest, which I'm sure will be studied for many, many years. Corin, who's the documentary for? I, I think it is for people who maybe didn't clock fully the extent of, of it, um, who are cu- maybe curious now a year on to, to go back and have a look and just be reminded about what, what actually happened. Maybe they weren't... Didn't there was stuff going on in their lives? Maybe they didn't see it. Maybe I think it's important that it's not minimised, and that it is remembered as a significant event. I also like to think, and this is something Angus and I used to talk about when we're putting this together, that I, I like to think of it as a piece of work that, in years to come, if a classroom or somebody needed to study that protest and and the, and, and what happened, they could go to that as this documentary as a reference point. A st- straight starting point, you know, laid out facts, just the timeline that day, how it unfolded, because what will happen is you can't not, you, you watch it, and I've watched this so many times, things, you get 
you get into the it's quite gripping uh, the day the 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 day itself and so it, it, it's getting you close to what it was like to be there and to feel it and to under, try and understand that and I think it drags up a whole lot of uncomfortable I talked about this before a whole lot of uncomfortable emotions and a whole lot of uncomfortable feelings and I think New Zealand has to has to sit with those feelings you can't push them away and ignore them and pretend they don't exist we have to sit with them we have to feel them and figure our way through it to, to be better and to be a better country so I hope that that serves that role of helping so it's one little piece there's lots of other great work being done by lots of other journalists as well I hope it's one little piece in that puzzle that helps New Zealand be better and figure out how to prevent something like this not happening again Angus, how do you think the protesters will respond? I hope that people keep an open mind. Um, but the reality is we posted the trailer a couple of days ago and we were already being told that there was a bias there. I think, you know, one of the things that we show in the documentary is that there are lots of different groups and there are lots of different people with different beliefs. So I, I am hopeful that some of them will think that it's fair Um but, you know, there are definitely going to be people, people that will already choose that they don't believe it and they don't trust it and they think it's lies. And that's a, an unfortunate reality because we need good criticism of things like this. Um, but, you know, you're not going to get that in the Facebook comments. And, Corin, where can people watch Boiling Point? RNZ's website. Uh, RNZ, but it's just... Uh, RNZ. RNZ.co.nz slash Boiling Point. It's yeah. on our YouTube channel as well. Mm-hmm. And it's about close to 45 minutes from memory? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, about that. Corin and Angus, thank you so much for coming in this evening and reflecting one year on. Quite amazing to think that it's one year since everything broke up. Boiling Point, a new documentary from RNZ with Morning Report host Corin Dan and RNZ cameraman Angus Drever. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks a lot. Thanks very much. Corin Dan and Angus Drever speaking about their documentary Boiling Point, available to watch now on rnz.co.nz.